Hello. I'm so excited to bring you the second episode of this year podcast, Wine Over Motherhood, and even more excited to share the conversation with my first guest, Mari Vega. Resilience is defined as the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or significant sources of stress. And empowerment is defined as the process of becoming stronger and more confident, especially in controlling one's life and claiming one's rights according to the Oxford Dictionary. But empowerment can also have many different meanings to different people. Depending on their experiences, circumstances, hopes, and dreams. My next guest embodies both words. I met Mary back in my last year of college and became good friends throughout throughout school and kept in touch through the years after. Mary was part of my support system when I was having trouble breastfeeding my twins as she was so natural coaching me through the process. Right then and there, I knew she was about to find her calling. And she did. I sat down for a late night conversation that was meant to that was meant to be about breastfeeding and how her breastfeeding journey helped her to establish her successful coaching business. Instead, it turned into a conversation on how an unplanned and traumatic C-section and difficult breastfeeding journey gave her the tools to be the fierce motherhood advocate that she is today. We talk about many things. We talk about how she found her voice and advocated for herself during her second pregnancy and learn to navigate a complicated health system that is used to decide for the patient. This that has fatal consequences for mother in the United States, especially for mothers of colors with black women being three to four times likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. A conversation that was supposed to just be a few minutes, it lasted for almost an hour and a half. And because everything that was said during that conversation was so important that I decided to make this episode into a two-part episode. This is the first part of that conversation. Thank you, uh, Mary, Mary, for joining me in this episode. How are you? I am so honored to be your first guest and I'm so excited for us to really have um, an authentic whining about breastfeeding conversation but also probably sharing some really interesting facts. So yeah so tell our listeners why are you drinking what are you drinking and let's pour that wine girl. Well girl I got um, introduced to some Ristling, Ristling, I guess, a white wine. I haven't really been a white wine girl in the past. So uh, that's what I my drink of choice is. And then I and like a typical mom, I have a glass of water next to me as well mm-hmm. to keep hydrated. Mm-hmm. And I have some tea. Oh, <laughs> I have some tea yeah, to girl. calm me. <laughs> so this is my, my footy heart. Okay. Uh, I have here uh, a very, very low. Nana, well, it's it's Bartanura, so the story it's it's a red Bartanura, which is the story about mm-hmm. this wine. I first actually drank it at 
it's supposedly from Olive Garden, and it's one of those those sweet wines that you drink with dessert. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you drink. It doesn't make you drunk, right? Or you put your tipsy. So that's the reason why the choice. It hasn't been a bad day today. So here we are. Oh. <laughs> so you don't need the start the strong stuff. <laughs> no, not today. Even though it's a it's it's a Monday. There we go. Ooh. So okay. For those of so I know you. I know who you are. What you do now, which I'm very proud of you, by the way, because you're going to be a published author in 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 a matter of days now. Thank you. Uh, yes. so let's start from the beginning. So, who are you, and what do you do, and let's talk about your journey into motherhood. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. So, my name is Marilise, and I go by Madi Vega on the internet mostly because I finally incorporated my business this year and I titled it Mari Vega LLC. And uh, that stems from, you know, my name is actually Marilise Colon Vega. Colon is my father's last name. Vega is my mom's last name because I was born in Puerto Rico. And, you know, today I, I did marry in the U.S. and I decided to take my husband's name. So my name is Marilise Candelario. And so that woman, she's corporate. She works in corporate America by day. She's a mommy to two wonderful, rambunctious children, a four-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son. And she is married to a very supportive, funny um, husband named Pablo. And we live in New Jersey now, raising our little family. I like to call us our first generation family because, you know, we are both, our kids were the first ones born here for our families. And so we're just kind of learning our way as we go and and really actually living um, a life that is completely different to that of our previous, you know, generations. So I like, to, I like to call it breaking first generation barriers. Um, and then Mari Vega is a platform that I created to advocate for mothers. And it was actually born a few years ago along with my motherhood journey. And, ter- and currently my vision and my aspirational goal for Mari Vega is to really just provide a platform for social justice reform for American parents. There are just so many ways that America is really just treating this as a marginalized group and there's so much we need. And so the small ways that I like to give back are currently through offering education and support Mm -hmm. for VBACs, which are vaginal births after cesareans and for breastfeeding support. And so I fill the gap for women in offering them the basics that they're going to experience um, with breastfeeding, especially because I feel like so many breastfeeding relationships end more abruptly than the mother would have probably wanted, just as a result of not having the education at her fingertips and being overwhelmed and sleep deprived. And so I want to do my part in the world to help mamas meet their breastfeeding goals, because there are so many other things tearing us down. And if that's something that we can have for ourselves, then I feel like it really helps the mother heal any other wounds that she might have, um, especially from having had labor and deliveries that don't go as expected. Mm -hmm. That's me. 
So tell us about your your journey into motherhood. Like I know you have um, very good stories to tell uh, from your first pregnancy that kind of shaped you um, into the mother that you are today. Especially, it, it, it kind of changed the way you saw um, maternal and at the, like how mothers were being treated at, at the hospitals. Even to the even the ones that we thought that they're the best, and we try to you know to go for the best, and we end up we end up always being a little bit tell us what happened in your first pregnancy and and how that changed you to into into the second pregnancy. Yeah, I really like the way that you phrased that because I think that one of the things about becoming pregnant is that everyone wants to give you their advice, mm-hmm. right? And you're either someone who's all for it and you're taking a million notes mm-hmm. or you're someone who's like, listen, everybody else has done it and I kind of see everyone else alive. So I'm sure like it won't be a big deal and like I'll do fine. Right. And you kind of just, you know, maybe not take some of that advice. Um, and actually, when I first created my business, I was just like, I can't mess with first time moms because I myself was one of these first time moms where I was just like, Oh, super uneducated, didn't ask any questions, just did everything the doctor told me, assumed everything would go good. And the only thing that I really kind of made a decision on was, oh, I should go with this, um, you know, with this pain medicine, you know, because a natural birth looks painful and a cesarean is scary. So I'm just going to, I'm going to have a natural birth and I'm going to just get an epidural and everything's going to go great. Mm-hmm. And for the... And for the most part, taking a step back to talk about that moment when you find out you're pregnant, you know, I wasn't married. I wasn't married. And that was really a big thing that I think people don't talk about is the expectation, especially when you work in corporate America, that if you're pregnant, there's a husband. And if there isn't a husband, right, maybe there's a wife. (laughs) Maybe you're just, you know, it's your partner. So when you say the word partner when you're pregnant people think it's like your same-sex partner Mm. and you're like no like I'm just trying to not say boyfriend like because like what am I gonna say um but well it's interesting because I was living with my boyfriend Pablo and I was 27 years old Mm -hmm. and I had gotten I was actually getting allergy tested and as a result getting I'm sorry of taking allergy shots you basically get shot up with something that you're building your immune system towards right Mm -hmm. so I get this shot one day and I've been getting them for a while but this particular day I got the shot and my body reacted very poorly I was getting really hot I couldn't breathe and I went back to the allergy doctor and he shot me with like an EpiPen with like so much medication he like made me take these pills because I was like blowing up and we were both so scared And of course, in a moment like that, no one's asking you any questions. Mm -hmm. Like they're just taking care of you, you know? Mm -hmm. And all I cared about was that I was about to be um, going on a trip to Costa Rica in like three or four days. So I was like, what do I need to take with me on this trip? Because I'm trying to go on this trip. And he was like, well, you shouldn't take alcohol. You shouldn't be in the sun. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to Costa Rica. I'm literally going to be in the pool and drunk. So like what? are you sure I can't do these things? Like I was like, what's the leeway? And I only share this because I basically ended up taking a bunch of medication, 
going on this trip, drinking, mixing my medication, like being in the sun, just being reckless. And when I came back home, I was like, oh my God, what if all this stuff has affected my birth control? And I was like, oh, for the first time in my life, Uh that wouldn't scare me. And it's like that shift from, oh, like you were saying, right? Like your mother told you, don't come home pregnant, don't come home pregnant unwed, right? Uh It's like that shift from, oh, you're in a loving relationship. You know, this could happen. It's finally no longer something that you want to avoid and that you're scared of. You're open to it. And so like that opened my eyes. Um, it took me about, <laughs> I had a conversation with Pablo and it probably took him about four months to jump on board. He was just like, I don't know. I don't know. This is crazy. And I was just so hell bent on, this is the way I want to do motherhood. Like I want to be in love and know I want to have a baby with someone. I don't want to wait until we get married and wait until we buy a house and do it the way that like this American dream has been painted for us. Mm-hmm. And although there was a lot of shame that probably went into people thinking that like this was a mistake, many people later on had actually shared with me that, you know, they did think it was a mistake, but like my daughter was very much planned. In fact, she came much quicker than we ever expected in our whole lives. Like I've been on birth control for years, so I just assumed it would take a long time. Uh And it took like the second month of trying, we were pregnant and it was like surreal because I thought I would get pregnant in like a year or two like I didn't think it would happen um so I finally I am pregnant and I go to my OB who I love in the city and she's like oh I refer people out to this particular guy um I don't do you know OB care I only do gynecology care Uh and I was like okay and I went to go see him and I just did not like his vibe I didn't like his vibe and so I spent weeks 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 um in like calling other doctors and my experience was that, like, in the city, so many doctor's offices were just like, oh, the doctor's booked. They can't take any more people with that due date. And I was like, oh, because it's like there's so many, you know, like, there's so many people in the city. Everything is always, like, so scarce. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you serious? That's a thing. And, like, people were telling me about their doctor and this doctor. And I was just having such a hard time. And then I, I actually went to another doctor's office. And I, I had actually, I remember her. I had found like a recently a recent grad black woman and I was like that's the girl I want to go with like yes um but she was part of a larger network and of course like when I get there I find out like you're not always going to see the person you want to see and it's like yes I don't know it was just like such a different experience and ultimately long story short I literally just made like a logistical decision like the doctor that I had originally been referred to his office was pretty close to my working location at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, listen, if I have to travel every month and then bi-weekly and then weekly to a particular office, I'll just stay with this guy. Like, I'm not going to go cross town and do all this stuff. And, you know, like, those are the kinds of decisions I was making instead of being like, let me go buy a doctor who has like a strong background in like, being empowered and giving women empowering births Mm -hmm. let me look into midwifery what is midwifery let me really talk to more people about doulas what is you know a doula um I was just like what doctor's office is close to my business my job that I have to like go to this office 
because I wasn't really thinking about myself. I was just thinking about the system logistically planning and I wasn't thinking about, you know, the birth experience and being fully cared for, like mind, body, soul. What makes you- I'm like, whatever, I'll just go with this doctor, who cares? And um, it was time to visit his hospital and it was um, NYU Langone um, on, on the east side, like by 31st Street in the city. Mm-hmm. And it had they had recently, I guess, been designated like a baby-friendly hospital. Mm-hmm. And apparently it's a very difficult designation to receive. And you go to their like hospital tour and they sit you down and they like give you an entire PowerPoint of how only like four hospitals or like 4% of hospitals in the United States get this designation. Look at all the things that we're doing to make sure that we have a like, you know, healthy uh, birthing experience for mommy and baby or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so you're just like bought into all the marketing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, great, great. This is like a super important hospital. Like I picked the best hospital, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was the extent to what we knew about this hospital. That's it. Um, and in the city, you know, you don't get a private room. So even though there are private rooms available, first come, first serve, it's $600 out of pocket. And you only get it if, like, it's available at the time that you give birth. <laughs> and yeah. I was just like, what? <laughs> so mm-hmm. I just, like, I knew I would be sharing a room with somebody, whatever. So I guess, you know, I have a pretty normal pregnancy and I get to, you know, uh, 39 weeks and five days and I go for a long, long walk. And I was like, this is going to be, this is going to be my labor inducing walk. Like I feel ready. My stepmom is here. We wash all the baby's clothes. Like we're super ready to have this girl. And I go on a long walk. Maybe it was like, I don't know, maybe like four or five miles and through it, I'm starting to feel what were probably like low contractions at the time. And then we get back and the mucus plug had come out, which is like, you know, this like bloody show. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Like somehow I knew that that was, I think someone gave me like what to expect when you're expecting, like the oh, classic okay. book. Okay. And so somehow I knew that like, that that was like, you know, part of the process that like things are moving along. And I was being told by my doctor that when my water breaks, I need to go to the hospital. So like, if your water breaks, you need to come to the hospital. No other question about anything, which is one of the things that if anyone listening, you should question something like that. You do not need to rush to the hospital. There are certain measures when you ask questions like what are the benefits of going right away versus not going what are the risks what should I be looking at when my water breaks you're supposed to look at the color the smell all these things that help you understand whether or not you need to rush to the hospital because if you're having a natural experience uh, you know and and you're not at a risk high risk or anything Uh and you break your water and it's clear and it's fine you don't have to rush immediately because the minute you leave that home environment, your physiological body is at distress. It now knows that you are not in the comfort and security of your home. And our bodies are mammals. So they're just like taking in the rush of, of it all. And sometimes that stops the labor. And that 
that puts your body like in shock because mammals if you ever watch a mammal giving birth they want to be in like a dark circle corner a dark corner by themselves they don't want to be disturbed and your body if your body senses danger your body actually stops birth so in the olden days if you were in a cave and you were giving birth and like an animal or creature came your body would literally stop birthing because the body would know that you were in danger that's also why a lot of babies are born in the night because the body was like, you know, like aware that, of like that that might be the best time. Like maybe you're not out, like you know, hunter gathering, whatever. Um, so it's just it's just crazy when you start looking into. I all see. Of it. I, I, I didn't. Know no that. one ever shared. No. Yeah. Like I knew, I knew that animals needed to be alone and in dark places, but I didn't know about all this other stuff. Huh? Okay. Okay. Go on. Yeah. And it's all of it's all part of like physiological birth and the idea that everything is connected and that your birth is not just a baby coming out of your body. It's it's the full encompassing experience of every element of your body working in tune rhythmically to get your baby out. Anyway, so this is all stuff that I learned later on in my life. But you know, making a long story short, it was like 1.30 in the morning, my water breaks. I had already been having contractions, but I didn't tell my husband. I wanted everybody to rest. My husband and my stepmom, they were my birth team. Okay. And so when my water breaks at 1.30 in the mornings, and I had had contractions since maybe like 9 p.m., I was like, this is totally happening. Great. And I'm still like not that, in that much pain. It's okay. It just hurts when I get the contraction, but I can still walk. I can still talk. We get to the hospital, they check me, they're like, yeah, your water broke, you're three centimeters, we're gonna admit you. And it's like four, it's like 3.30 in the morning and I'm sending my work email like, hey, I'm turning on my out of office because it's happening. <laughs> and like the fact that women don't think to take time off earlier as well and like prepare mentally for this is also a whole nother thing, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a lesson learned for the second time around. The second time around, I was like, two weeks before I'm out, bye. I don't care. Adios. <laughs> um, and everything goes what I thought would be perfect, like what I assumed at the time was perfectly. I am like, great, I'm being admitted. I'm going to need an epidural right away because I'm not about this pain. And they're like, yes, ma'am. And they're like, rush to get my epidural. And I guess while I'm waiting for it, I progress. I think I progressed because um, my next contractions were so terrible and I started like vomiting and I was like shaking and it was so bad. And I had read nothing about how to prepare for a contraction. The only thing I knew was that I had gone to like three prenatal yoga classes and they were like, learn to sit and breathe through pain. But like, I didn't know what that meant. I just was like, okay. And in the moment I had no tools to lean on and I was just like freaking out. Eventually, whenever I get my epidural, I take I go to sleep, and at and at this point it's like six seven in the morning. I go to sleep, and by noon it's time to push. I'm like, oh my god, this is perfect. I'm not in pain. I'm you know I'm relaxed. The baby's coming, and then I push and I push and I push and I push for two hours straight. Wow. And and you know, um. My daughter was not descending. And so just to have the listeners follow along, when your baby's in your belly, 
your baby, your baby is at a stage four. As your baby descends, they're descending to stage three, two, one. Eventually, they're at zero, which is your pelvis. And then from there, they, you know, you push up through your pelvis. So it goes one, two, three, four. And when they're four, they're out of your body. Sorry, when they're inside, they're negative four, negative three, okay. negative two, negative one. Yeah. And then when they come out, it's one, two, three, four, their whole body's out. So my baby was like a three or two. So she's like still in there after two hours. She's still high up in there. And, you know, I'm at this point exhausted. I'm pushing for two hours straight. I have asthma. It starts to act up. Nobody offered me oxygen. I can't breathe. I I remember I couldn't push through my last. So when you push a baby, you have to push down for 10, for 10 counts. Like you push and it's like one, two, somebody's counting from one to 10, asking you to push that whole time. I couldn't even get past like seven. I just was like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Um, and then the doctor has asked my husband to leave the room with him and then they talk about a C-section and then they come in and they're just like, and this is what I want to just share very, there are many ways to discuss a C-section. Likely this was not the first time to have talked to me about a C-section. Like we probably should have talked about it also just when I was visiting you every week, like, (laughs) If a C-section happens, this is what it would look like. You know, just like a lot of first-time moms just think they're not going to have a C-section and they don't prepare. Mm -hmm. And so I just feel like (laughs) it's the responsibility of the OB to be like, hey, when you're talking about your birth plan, like, why aren't they telling you like, okay, and this is what it would look like if I have to, you know, bring up a a C-section. So they come into the room and they're like, well, at the rate you're pushing, you'll need to push another eight hours before this baby comes out. So we should just do a C-section. Wow. And at this point, I can't breathe. I'm exhausted, right? Mm-hmm. And just to pause for a moment, there's a lot of fear already because my sister-in-law mm-hmm. has cerebral palsy because she got stuck in her birth, her mother's birth canal or there was something and there was maybe maybe malpractice that you know it was Dominican Republic 35 mm-hmm. years ago but so, so because of a trauma during her birth um you know she has this condition and so there is that fear of like why would you put your baby at risk like just get the c-section and that's also very latino oriented too yes. like why go through this quote-unquote risky procedure yet c-sections are risky so risky and no one's talking about how risky it is to literally cut up like some outrageous number of layers into your body and sew you back up five to seven layers and right it's like five to seven layers of your body and the funny part about c-sections that well in my case uh it was a scheduled c-section because i had twins but that wasn't even a conversation i learned about every step that was going to happen while they were preparing for it. Mm-hmm. So this is what, like, mm-hmm. really, like, I, I, I can, I, I, you know, it was like I was just learning right then and there. What was going to be happening? Right. So I can imagine what you were going through at the moment they tell you this needs to be done. Because, like, think about it, right? Like, just today, this morning, I spent it taking my son to get allergy tested. Do you understand how much paperwork I came home with? 
just because <laughs> he might need it to have an EpiPen and he has an allergy to peanuts and, and eggs. Yeah. Like, I came home with so much paperwork. You would think that that during the birthing, like during the you know visits, that the doctor would talk to you about C-section and give you paperwork mm-hmm. about C-sections. Nobody. I would love to see if somebody ever got paperwork about a C-section. Why? Why? Correct us. <laughs> right. Please. Please do. Because, because like, if you're going to go get knee surgery, best believe you're going home with paperwork. Yeah. If you're going to go get a heart, you know, a uh, heart procedure, best believe you're coming home with paperwork. But for some reason, sir, you know, C-section is just not treated like every other major life-threatening surgery, which it is. It very much is. And for anyone listening, I am not anti-cesareans. I am anti not educating yourself Mm -hmm. because people aren't helping you educate yourselves and that you're not providing consensual informed consent with regards to how your body is being treated through consumption, pregnancy, labor, and delivery. That's my beef with, with, everything going on not the actual c-section i mean c-sections are nothing you know they they prepare me for an emergency c-section and within minutes um i was at a uh i was at a uh school a school hospital so i had opted in at because of you know our dear friend angel because <laughs> i had friends that are were going for their medical degrees i wanted to be kind and allow for you know the students to shadow my you know my birth and my delivery so when it became a c-section you know they were all in the in there and he was he was teaching a class like he was teaching a class like as he was opening me up when um, so, when did you kind of reflect on that because right i know by at that moment nothing, nothing seems to matter and that what matters and different things like with the baby right when did you exactly kind of like felt like kind of like Oh my God! The, uh, the, I was just a subject. <laughs> right. Like, when did you reflect on that? Like, when, you know, how long did it did it did it have like passed? But uh, as I was like, you know, kind of noticed that you were like beginning. I would honestly say, yeah, I would honestly say like maybe six weeks because at my like follow up appointment, <laughs> I had a lot to tell him about like the whole student experience. So probably by then. But you're absolutely right. Like. You're also, nobody tells you, like, I don't know, you had a scheduled C-section, so I wonder, there's probably some differences between scheduled and emergency, but, you know, I'm tied down, like, Jesus Christ on the cross, I'm tied down, my arms are tied down, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, some women, their arms are not tied down, and I'm like, but why were mine tied down? Um, Because of all the raging medicine in my body already from the epidural and everything before leading up to this, Mm -hmm. um, even though my epidural had wore off and I was begging for more epidurals so I can keep pushing, but they would not give me more. So your my body was shaking. Mm-hmm. Like I was physically compulsing and shaking, which is probably why they put my arms down. But um, I also was so thirsty because, you know, this whole time I haven't eaten. I haven't eaten anything. And it's now 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And my last meal was at one o'clock in the morning. And I threw that up a long time ago. So I'm exhausted and I'm so hungry. And they're just giving me like ice chips. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm so thirsty that I even contemplate, like my husband is wearing two different masks on his face. And I contemplated asking him to spit in my mouth. Like that is how thirsty I was. I was willing to take somebody's spit in my mouth. 
Like I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> um, and so I'm thirsty. I feel weak and I'm on the operating table and my hands are tied down and I'm so scared and I've never had a surgery in my life. And the whole time I'm just like, I'm going to die. Like the whole time I'm just like, I'm going to die. I'm not going to be my baby. I'm going to die. I'm not going to be my baby. And I'm telling my husband, I think I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die. And and he's telling the staff and they're like, I have this chipper, like super young, like student nurse in my ear. Honey, your vitals are great. You're not going to die. I promise you, you're not going to die. And it's like not reassuring at all. You could just tell me this is how the medicine makes you feel, whatever. Like, I don't know. It's just, why is this the first time that I'm hearing that I'm going to experience this? Like, if you guys know this is how medicine makes you feel, like, why again did I not get this in some paperwork? <laughs> so, but they make you sign the paperwork, daughter, that's awesome, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it, this is how it looks. They can already... you sign here? You're going to have it. Yeah. If can you sign here? You're yeah. going to have C section. Okay. Yeah. I'm crying. I have boogers all over my face. I'm exhausted. I just pushed for two hours, which basically gets like a fucking marathon. Mm -hmm. And I'm 200 pounds and I'm super unfit. And you're telling me to sign here because I need to have an emergency C-section. Of course. I, yeah, I read the paperwork. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> it's like, so anyways, long story short, um, my baby's born. They take her. They like, you know, check on her make sure she's good they wrap her up in a burrito and they put the like cream in her eyes and she looks freaking crazy and they give her to my husband and they're like this is your baby and I'm just like what the fuck what is this and she's just looking at us like who are you mm -hmm. <laughs> and um and that was my experience and then um when I get brought over to the recovery room after the c-section they give me my daughter and I put her on my breast and she suckles right away. And I'm like, oh my God, yes. At least I'm going to get to breastfeed because, you know, like this is going to be my like recompensa, you know, mm -hmm. like my mm -hmm. coming back. Like I'm yeah, going to have this womanly thing I'm going to do. <laughs> right. Because the whole time before, the whole time before during my pregnancy, I was just like, yeah, yeah, I'm going through the motions. Like I'm going to try to breastfeed, but like if I don't, like whatever, because these breastfeeding women like oh they're such they're just so pushy and like if I just see one more like hippie looking um free the nipple like white lady I'm just gonna throw up like that was my experience <laughs> yeah, yeah. I you look at history like how how did I think that breastfeeding was a hippie white thing to do when like rich white women used to have their slaves like breastfeed their children because that was something that they you know that was like that's not something that they would do ill you know like so anyways that just shows you where society's at like that that's the first thing I think of a hippie white woman breastfeeding um but yeah so everything seems to be going good and then you know they bring me to the room and and I get a room by myself because nobody is um meeting the second bed just yet and so um you know, they're like, do you want us to bring her to the nursery overnight? And of course, I'm like, no, I want to be with my baby. You're not going to take her away from me. And we we stay with her. And maybe around like two in the morning, we're like, never mind. We messed up. You could take her. <laughs> because <laughs> at this point, we've been up for like 36 hours since like the excitement of that walk that I took the day before. So... Um, 
we, we let her take them. And then um, I'm like, but bring her back in two hours because I'm breastfeeding. Don't give her a formula. And I remember that I woke up at 7 a.m. And I was like, oh, it's 7 a.m. Oh, my God. Where's my baby? They didn't bring her back. And the nurse came back and she was like, well, honey, like, you look so tired. I didn't want to wake you, blah, blah, blah. Again, you're not following my wishes. I appreciate, right, that you wanted me to sleep. But, like, I'm not even mad at that. I'm just reflecting back now and being, like, just another way that the hospital did not, you know, do as a mother requested. Anyways, so in the middle of the night, a woman gets brought to my room. So, like, now there's another woman and there's there's literally a blanket hanging between us. Mm -hmm. So this is like the most life-changing moment of my, of my life. And, and behind (laughs) a blanket, I can hear a whole other woman's experience. And this is her third baby. So like, she's by herself. She has no support because everybody's apparently home taking care of her other two kids. And she's on the phone the whole time telling everybody, like talking in her language. I forget what kind of like, I think she was Russian and, um, and she's just like, whatever. And then and the nurses are like, do you want your baby? She's like, no, leave her in the nursery until I have to leave. Like such a third mom thing to say. <laughs> and so, I so, <laughs> so it's like, it's like the fact that like, also I'm sure like this is the last thing on their mind, but like the experience that you're getting as a first time mom being put in a room with a third time mom is also just like, it's crazy, right? Like, yeah it's a very different experience and so the second night we also wanted to stay with our daughter and the she hears me crying trying to breastfeed in the middle of the night because they kept giving me drug medicine and the lactation consultant would show up right after I took drugs and like I could barely keep my eyes open let alone hold my daughter and breastfeed mm-hmm. so I'm like now I'm I'm having a bad latch a shallow latch she's cutting me up she's hurting me I'm crying and I hear the mom saying you know I know it's none of my business but you know you could just give your baby formula like you don't have to cry if you tell them like just give her formula it's fine and like we said okay and you know we called the nurse and we sent her and gave her formula and we slept and I just share that because it's like compassion and empathy is missing from so many medical professionals practices it's it's really sad and you know there are many factors why that's happening in america but i just really wish that people didn't have to experience things like that and you're at the mercy of whatever nurse shift you're on so actually when i got to the hospital the nurse that was putting in my IV, she was so rude. I was like, wait, a contraction's coming. Can you wait to put the IV until I pass my contraction? And she goes, pain is pain. And she pushed in to put the IV in my vein or my hand as I'm having a contraction. And of course I'm moving because I'm having a painful contraction. And so she had to like try and put the IV maybe two or three times. And by the third failed time and how she treated me like that, I was like, get out of my room. And so it's like, literally, the, um, the epidural guy, he was the one who put the IV in for me because I was like, I don't want to see her face. And thank God it was like seven o'clock in the morning and the shift is at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I got I got a whole new set of nurses and like they were awesome. 
So it's like you're also at the liberty of whatever shift you give birth in. Yes. So you have to know the whole hospital, the whole practice, the doctors, their partners, their coverage partners, and it's impossible to know all of that. So I finally get dispatched from the hospital and I go home. And there's so many things that like you don't think about when you did not prepare for a C-section. So like I have a tall bed. Someone needed to go buy me a step so I could step on the step and get on my bed because it hurts to, you can't just jump. Mm -hmm. When you have a C-section, like it hurts. And um, yeah, I remember just like not wanting to look at my scar and like not wanting to ever touch it. And like, there's all this medical tape they put on me. And I swear to God, I wore the medical tape for like a week because I just didn't want to touch it. Um, And yeah, my breastfeeding was horrible. Um, My nipples were raw, cut, bleeding. I was like pumping all the time. And this is like four days postpartum. Like you have no business pumping. Like you really should try not to pump unless you really have to. Um, So I got a crazy oversupply. And like, I was super engorged all the time. And I remember going to that first doctor's appointment because no one tells you also like your baby loses weight. Right? So I, I know you had NICU babies. So it was such a different experience. But, you know, when when you do go home with your kids on that first day, when, you do, when you're dispatched, you're discharged. Yeah, I think it's like a pound a week. Yeah, it's it's normal for them to usually lose like a pound mm-hmm. from their mm-hmm. birth weight right mm-hmm. and the reason they they want you they want to see you two or three days later is to make sure that the baby gains some weight meaning that they are that they are eating like that they're breastfeeding they're eating or you know you're giving them formula whatever but to check on the baby right mm-hmm. and I remember my date she was like seven something when we left the hospital and that was um on the on the like on the weekend and the two or three days later when she was at the doctor they were like oh my god she gained a pound and a half they were like honey this baby is eating she's healthy you had two weeks for her to gain back a pound she gained it back in two and a half nights she looked at me and she was like and I swear that doctor probably changed my life she's that pediatrician she said to me you know what I want but she looked at my my support team in the room, my stepmom and my dad, and my stepmom and my husband, and said to them, "Tonight, I would like for her to be sleeping and for you guys to be on bottle duty and taking care of this baby. This mama needs to sleep." And that's what I needed in that moment, with my big black circles under my eye because I hadn't birth right, and hysterical to breastfeed and all this stuff like. I needed someone to say, you're doing something right. This baby gained all her weight. You are doing so good. So take a load off and just rest. And that was the first time that somebody said that to me. This was the pediatrician? The pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, she was just so supportive. And, and really, I think that was probably the first time that someone really treated the mom in that room, the mom that I didn't know I had just become and said to me, hey, mama, take care of yourself. This baby's doing okay. And yeah, and then, you know, I breastfed for like three or four weeks through the pain and I was just like, 
and I had like lactation consultants and like all these people help me and I was just like I'm just gonna make it to the one month mark and then I'm giving up and then before I knew it it was five weeks and I was like wait it was five weeks I thought I was gonna give up I'll just do one more week and then it was six weeks and then I was like I'll do three months and then long story short I did 16 months of breastfeeding wow so I fixed everything and it ended up working out and it was such a life-changing experience and I learned so many fascinating facts which I'm sure we can partner to get fun facts through uh, breastfeeding week but it was just such a healing experience and it made me feel complete to be able to nourish my daughter in that natural state Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it made up for my you know my failed natural delivery in many ways. such a raw and powerful birth story. Tune in next week for the second part of this conversation where we talk about how her first pregnancy and birth gave her the tools and the power to advocate for herself during her second pregnancy and gave her the and paved the way to establish her motherhood coaching business. So I hope you mommies and papis out there who are listening today can join me next week. Talk to you soon.